0: Well, praise God. Let's get our mission statement up there. If you guys would stand with me, we're just going to declare this. This is our mission. This is who we are. This is who we're becoming. Praise the Lord for what He's called us to do. Amen. Are you guys ready? 3, two, 1, go. We are raising up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people from the next generation who will love deeply, serve sacrificially, speak truthfully, live holy, and go globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit calling all people to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That is what we are called to do. This is our prophetic foundation. This is why God put us on the map. This is why. And so it is so important that we get this deep in our heart because this isn't, even though this is unique and we're uniquely applying it to us, this is just Bible. All that stuff is just Bible. Living holy, we're not the only church who's called to that. We're, We're not the only church called to serve sacrificially. Or speak truth into a culture of lies and deceit. We're not the only church called to do that. This is universal Christianity that we've just put together in such a way that gets our hearts wrapped around it. Seriously, if we're the only church that's trying to love deeply, (laughs) OMG. We are in a world of hurt. This isn't just us. But this is how we are going to go after it in the context of the next generation. Amen? Amen. Reaching the next generation. That's the Bible. Again, going after the next generation isn't, isn't just our special niche. Every church should be going after it. That's why they're all dying. That's why they're dying, because they're not being relevant and reaching the next generation. I mean, we're really, even though we're preaching radical, we're really not that radical. We're like the radical middle, you know, (laughs) radical normal, because this is just basic Christianity that we're talking about. That's what we're after. And so today, I'm going to share part two on serving sacrificially, and if, um, you know, I want to talk about this some more because I just have a little bit I want, to, I want to bring to our attention as far as this goes. But I want to talk about what it means to raise up the next generation to serve sacrificially. Again, by modeling it in our own lives. We have to embody serving sacrificially if our kids have any chance of getting it in their life. Because if you think you can do as I say, not as I do... That ain't gonna work. Not gonna work at all. We have to be modeling this in our lives. And if you missed last week, I, I urge you to please, please go to our podcast on our website and um, listen to it because it will help you understand uh, even some of what I'm talking about today when it comes to serving sacrificially. Because there are some, there's some really important information that was in that message. Last week, and I don't want any of us to miss it, so please, if you, if you didn't hear it, go to the website. We post it, try to post it on our Facebook page as well, so that you can get to that link real easy. But um, for those of you who maybe have like a really, a really good memory, um, this message today is probably going to sound a little familiar, because it is a message that I preached when I came back from uh, South Korea. I did a, a trip to South Korea a few years ago. Um, So, I I, want to bring this message and I've added some new stuff. I've added some tweaks and some different information, but I think it's really appropriate for where we're going when it comes to serving sacrificially. So, if it sounds strangely familiar, you're right. You're not crazy. This isn't deja vu. You have probably maybe heard it. So, my trip to South Korea. Let me tell you about that. So, in 2010, I took a trip with um, Ryan Wyatt from Fuse Church in Knoxville and a team of us, about, I don't know, 20 of us, 30 of us, and uh, we flew to, to South Korea to be a part of a conference that was going on that Ryan was leading at this um, South Koreans church. And um, this church was, it's a large church, it was like 1,500 members, and um, they occupied their church occupied. They were in a, an office building, and they occupied three floors, like, of this building for just their church service. And so they had a room that was, it was probably as big as this room plus the bounce house. So that big was like one floor down, and these were in the basement. Like, so we first floor, then you went down to the overflow, and then there was another overflow uh, level beneath that. So, three floors, 1,500 people. It was the strangest worship experience I ever had. No one stood up, they sat for the whole worship service, you know. And us Americans, we're wanting to, you know, get our, our groove on, and nobody else is. So, we're like, okay. So we finally get up the courage to go. Why is no one standing or moving? And one of the, the 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 leader the gal who was actually our our liaison. She goes, "Oh no, we would love to dance. We love to praise. We love to sing. We just can't because the building might crash down." <laughs> because you get 1500 people in this Three floors of a basement of an office building, they're like, We can't do it. You're not allowed. We tell our people. And so their people are doing this in their seat and you know, they're you know, wiggling as much as they can from their tushy, you know. Interesting. Okay, dynamics, so you don't have to really, I've never thought about that. So they're like, literally, we can't. It'll shake the building and it could possibly cause some damage. So sit down and worship God. All right so so we're there in this conference, and we have this gal who um, um is our liaison she's our she's there to help us in service in every way and the first thing that is just like r- crazy clear about these people is that there is this thing of servanthood that is on the Korean people. It was like. Amazing! It was so amazing. It made you feel uncomfortable sometimes on how they served you. Literally, you know, because there was not only was our main girl, her name was Betty, that I think she just gave herself an American name to help us. You know, <laughs> I'm Betty. But but there was also all these these young people, these twenty somethings who were just constantly around, tending. And I mean, I tell you what, and this happened: if you would just say, "Hey," where's the nearest coffee shop, you know, I'd like to get a coffee, and they go, oh, uh, two blocks this way, and oh, thank you, all right, so we'd go in the building, we'd get to our, they had a room for us that we'd hang out, and 10 minutes later, here comes this little girl, here you go, we are like, what, no, I didn't ask you to go get it, oh, it's okay, it's okay, here, take it, I mean, and so you literally had to be careful even insinuating you wanted something. Hey, where's the water? Boom, three waters. <laughs> it was like it was it was crazy. And so we we start conversing with you know the the Betty who's our liaison. She's and I'm I start asking her questions. I'm like, wow, fifteen hundred people. So like, how many people do you have on staff here? You know, and she goes, oh, she goes, we have three pastors. That we pay on staff. Wow. We're like, okay. And like, are there other like ministry leaders? No. We only pay three pastors. Wow. I'm like, what? Like, who runs your children's and your youth and the worship and all? Oh, no, it's all volunteer. You're, you're kidding me. no. No, we just, everyone serves here. We all serve, we all lay down our lives. (laughs) Yeah, you do, (laughs) yeah, you do. Even this gal Betty, she was like the chief, she was their chief administrator, volunteer. I'm like, do you have a job? Yes, it's it's very, very flexible, they're very kind to me and I can can take off, but they don't pay you, no. Dude, we barely can get 150 people in this room on a Sunday morning. We're almost at three pastors on staff. Two and a half. half. (laughs) Plus a part-time secretary, plus a part-time custodian. That's insane. And so as I'm observing this in this Korean culture of servanthood, it's it's breaking my heart, it's convicting me, it's making me angry, it's making me sad, about our attitude as Americans and how selfish we are, how selfish I am. 1,500 people. That's a lot of staff people to, to make a church of 1,500 people work. Just in case you didn't know that. And so it wrecked me. And I came back and, and I started to look into the Word of God about this issue of servanthood and, and serving sacrificially. And I found this quote by uh, a Chinese philosopher... His name's is Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu. And he, he has this quote, and he's, he was in the 5th century B.C., and he says, He says, The highest type of ruler is one of whose existence the people are barely aware. The wise man is quiet and few of words. And when his task is accomplished and the things have been completed, All the people say, we ourselves have achieved it. That's amazing leadership. That's the kind of leadership I want to be. It's the kind of leadership I'm calling us to be. Luke 10, verse 38 is where I want to start. It says, as Jesus and his disciples You were worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, so we have this story of Mary and Martha. And it's a story we love to tell. Um, it's a story we love to quote in order to build a case for why worship hippies don't do any work in the church. (laughs) That's funny. You can laugh at that. We love to quote that story. And so, many times in our effort to justify why, you know, the most important thing for me to do is to just lay on the floor during worship Sunday after Sunday, and I, I can't be bothered with helping in ministry... You know, and in, in, in telling that story, poor, poor little Martha gets beat up. In fact, she gets beat up all the time. I mean, here we have Martha, she's running around with a, like a chicken with its head cut off. And here's Mary lounging with Jesus. And we used to love we we, we love to use this scripture to point to the fact that worshiping the Lord at His feet is the most important preoccupation of our lives. And while I cannot agree more with that statement about how important intimacy with the Lord is and the supremacy of being a wholehearted worshiper, I am in full agreement with that, that we are those things first. But we have to look a little closer at this story to really get the meaning of what it's about. So let's look a little closer at Martha. Now, when I look at Martha in this story, the first thing that I notice about Martha is that this girl is living out the gifts that God himself gave her. And the first gift that we see her really expressing is her gift of hospitality. Isn't that true? She's preparing the table. She's getting the food just right. You know, she's cleaning up Mary's mess from the morning. You know? I mean, this poor girl in this story is literally expressing her love language of acts of service. Like no one else. She's going after it. So if we look at this passage within the context, within that context, it really amazes me as to um, why we love to misinterpret this passage and say things like, don't be a Mary, or Martha, be a Mary. I mean, if we look close enough at this, we can see that even Jesus himself did not make that statement. It's not in there. Don't be a Martha, be a Mary. That's not in the Bible. What did Jesus actually say? Well, verse 41, it says, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Now, here's what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say... Stop doing what you're doing because it doesn't matter. He didn't say that. So if Jesus was not rebuking Martha for her acts of service and hospitality, what really was he saying to her? Well, I believe that what Jesus was subtly communicating to Martha was that all her serving all her acts of service, her sacrificial serving, I believe what he was subtly trying to say to her is that you're not doing this in faith. And I think this is really important for us to understand when it comes to serving sacrificially. Serving sacrificially has to be done in faith. You have to believe that what I'm doing is unto the Lord called forth by God and that I am honoring Him with my acts of service. And here's how I know this. Because worry and being upset, which is what He said, are indicators that what we are doing is not in faith. You do something, and you're worried, guess what? You're not in faith. You're upset about something, guess what? You're not in faith. So this is especially important if you are an acts of service kind of person, which I am. I'm one of those, and there are others here that I know that are that way. Because when you're in acts of service, and that's your love language, and that's what you do. Or, or other people who are servant-hearted. Eric is a great, he, he, he has the gift of servanthood on his life. He loves to help. But it's very easy for people who have that gift. They have a tendency of, of looking and seeing that everyone else isn't doing very much. And they get discouraged pretty easy. See, people who naturally enjoy serving have a tendency to feel underappreciated and overlooked. And when that happens, we start complaining to the Lord. So first, we have to be serving in faith. You and I, serving sacrificially, must be done in faith. Now, let's read what else Jesus said. He says this to her. He says this. He says, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, before we we dissect the meaning of this part of the verse, we have to look at the context of this passage, okay? So I'm putting my teacher hat on. It's a good thing we're going to learn. Context of this passage. When Jesus made this statement to Martha, the paradigm that they were all in, Mary, Martha, Jesus, the paradigm that they were in, the paradigm that they were under, was the Old Covenant, The Old Testament. So here's what that means. In other words, God was still out there. God was still out there. He was was an external reality. And more specifically, God was an external reality in the person of Jesus. Jesus. So they're not under the new covenant, which means Jesus had not gone into heaven and the Holy Spirit had not come. So what that means is that we still in this, this, where this story is happening, under this paradigm, this dispensation, that means the only way that they could experience God, the only way they could experience Jesus, was if he was physically present with them. You see how that's different than our reality. So, Jesus is saying to Martha that for now, under this current paradigm, I am only here right now. And if you want me to choose between what Mary is doing and what you are doing Mary has chosen what is better. Do you get that? It's like when a a relative who lives in California comes in and this is it. I can either drop what I'm doing and go see them at my parents' house or I can miss them and keep going on with life. This is it. The only way I get to experience my cousin or my aunt, my uncle, is if I physically show up. And so Jesus is saying that if you want me to choose because of where we're at, because you guys can only experience me in person, and if you want me to choose to get, tell her to go shoe her to go work instead of sit here in my presence, I'm not going to do that. This is the better choice. There's only one thing that's important. Right now, it's being at my feet. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to diminish the universal fact that loving Jesus is extremely important. It's center. It's first. But I want to measure it against what Jesus himself actually said. So let's look at what Jesus has actually said about people like Martha, because there's other things Jesus has said in the Bible about people like her. And that's where we have to get the full picture of what serving really is all about. Mark chapter 9, verse 35 it says, They came to Capernaum, and when he, entered, when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because, they were, uh, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said this. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. And, everybody say And yeah. the servant of all. So here we have Jesus giving the disciples a very, very clear understanding of how to be in the pole position in the kingdom of God. If you want to be a leader, if you want to lead the pack, you want to be leader of the pack, then be the last one out the door on Sunday morning. Be the last one in the line. Be the last one to get his instead of the first one to get yours. If you want to be numero uno, then do something that no one will ever see. Now obviously Jesus does not have misgivings when it comes to Martha. So let's keep reading in verse 36 says he took a little child and he had him stand among them taking him into his arms he said to them whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent So in verse 35, Jesus is telling us that we have to be servants to be the greatest in the kingdom. And now here in verse 37, Jesus goes right into a sermon about children's ministry. Go ahead, you can chuckle because that's what it is. Here's Jesus connecting what he just said about being the greatest in the kingdom. He connects it with welcoming and helping the next generation. Yep. Amen. Right. He didn't skip a beat. There's not a whole bunch of other stuff between these two statements. It's one sitting. One teaching. And I find it amazing how Jesus knew that the greatest area of need and the greatest area of complaining would be in serving the next generation. <laughs> It's okay, nervously laugh. <laughs> I just uh... But he did it. He said that we are to welcome them to embrace the next generation. Servanthood and children go hand in hand. And here's the thing, serving sacrificially when we serve sacrificially, it makes us top priority in the economy of heaven. God resources those who are in service of others. Do you want a miracle in finances? Then give yourself away. Do you want to catch the attention of heaven in your life? Then become the last guy or girl. And as we consider our acts of service, one other thing needs to come to mind. You see, in our American hierarchical system, we love to focus our servanthood on those who are above us or those who are ahead of us. In other words, when we serve, we love to serve those whom we can impress. And when we serve only to impress those above us or those ahead of us, then we are only serving ourselves and how it benefits us the most. We love, we we just we love to serve, we love to impress our boss, we love to serve our leaders, we, we love to serve the special speakers that come. You know, I've seen this thing happen, and right in front of my eyes, actually. I've had people who would come up to me, and and they would ask me, you know, how how can I serve you? How can I help you, brother? What do you need? And then from our conversation after we've talked, I've watched them turn around, and and maybe have a peer or a someone they consider beneath them uh, come ask them for help, and they. I've watched them deny them, shrug them off as if they had no value. I mean, here's an example. Let's say uh, Clayton comes up to me, and he goes, Hey, man, I love you, Tom. I love your leadership. You're just awesome. And what can I do to serve you, man? And I'm like, you know... I hear you've got some skills on mixers and soundboards. We are short on sound guys and we could really use your help. Of course, I'm your guy, man. You just tell me when and I'll be there. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, that's awesome. And then, and then as Clayton walks away, Mike kind of overhears that conversation and Mike comes to Clayton and he goes, "Hey, hey, I just heard you're good with mixers, man. We are doing an outreach on the hottest day of the year in the stinkiest neighborhood in the roughest part of town, and I need someone to rent a mixer for four hours. Man, would you? And then Clayton goes, eh, well, yeah, mm, let me think about it. Uh, what day is it? I'll, I mean, I have to pray and ask the Lord, and I'll fast, and, and then i got to ask my wife, and she'll probably say no. Now, that's not true, but that's the example I'm using, Okay. That's, that's how I've watched it literally happen. Yeah, I'll do it for you, Tom. No, I won't do it for you. Because we love to impress those who are above us, those we perceive that are ahead of us. So when the majority of our serving sacrificially is done to make us look good to other leaders, then we have truly overlooked what Jesus said was really saying mark chapter 9 verse 35 again says jesus sitting down he called the 12 and he said if anyone wants to be first he must be the very last and the servant of who of all now we love to read this and go wait didn't jesus mean to say you want to be the greatest you need to be my servant jesus's servant I mean, that would have made sense, right? He's the king of kings, lord of lords, creator of the universe. You want to be great, serve me. But that, that is not what he said. Nope. What he said, he actually meant. You want to be the greatest, then you serve all. Not just your pastors, your leaders, the fun, cool people. People who can get you ahead in life. So if your service and your servanthood and your serving sacrificially is to really mean something in heaven, it has to be a service not only to those above you, but a service to those who are your peers and to those who are being raised up. Again, I've seen people come up to me, talk to me with respect and great willingness to help, and then I watch them turn around to someone else that they see as a peer or beneath them, And the tone and the body language, they all communicate contempt. You're bothering me. And that is not what Jesus meant at all. Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Yeah, that's a good one. And that, most of our prayers, I want you to do whatever I ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us set at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can. And Jesus said to them, oh, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know, those who, have, who um, are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man. Everybody say, even the Son of Man. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus. Jesus tells us right here his incredible commitment to being the greatest example of what a servant is supposed to look like. And he's not exercising his authority over his disciples by telling them to just, you know, be be servants of Jesus. Just be my servant. Come make sure all my needs are met because I've got a really big job being the savior of the earth. It's not what he's done. He said, I came to serve you and everyone on this planet. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's Paul. 1 Peter 2.21 To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. His steps of being a servant of all. So, clearly, clearly what Jesus said to Martha, it has to agree with everything else Jesus has said about servanthood. So, Martha, who was clearly expressing her gift. And what does it say she did? And I want to look at this one point here. Luke 10, verse 38. And Jesus it says Jesus as Jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him Now what does a home represent A home represents a habitation It's a dwelling place Who opened this habitation for Jesus to come in Oh, Martha. Hmm. So here's the point. Because this is what I saw in Korea. Servanthood is the fragrant offering that opens the door for the presence of Jesus to come in and manifest itself. I'm going to say it again. Servanthood is the fragrant offering that opens the door for the presence of Jesus to come in and manifest. You see, it was Martha who opened the home, not Mary. It was Martha's anointing of servanthood and hospitality that opened the way for Jesus to come in. See, it wasn't Mary singing worship songs about Jesus that caught Jesus' ear as he was passing by, right? It wasn't like they were walking, and hey, is that my name in song? Well, where Wherefore out does it come from? <laughs> Hence, let us go unto hither, it's because Jesus spoke in King James. Right? Let's heretofore go unto hither and see what such melodious, melodious pose uh, beckons my ear. Right? It's not in there. was it because Mary's just dancing and, oh, Jesus, I love you. I've got to go to this house. No, Martha. Martha made it happen. Martha's the one that got him in the house. So Mary could just sit at his feet. See, our problem is that we associate worship only with the emotional response and the connection that we have to anointed music that we listen to. I'm going to say that again. Our problem is that we associate worship only with the emotional response and the connection we have to anointed music that we love to listen to. But in fact, worship almost always begins with servanthood, with sacrifice. You see, what we experience here on Sunday morning, it begins way before the worship team ever starts the first song. See, the fragrance of servanthood is reaching heaven long before most of you ever even get here. You see, it's when Alger comes in at seven, and he's praying and he's interceding. It's when people like Ernie or Chris come in and and they're printing the bulletins. It's when the worship team comes in early and we rehearse for an hour or more. I want you to know the key to anointed music isn't just more emotionalism. It's in sacrificial serving. By spending time learning your parts learning all there is to know about your instrument, learning the music, memorizing Scripture so you have something to sing prophetically with. And I want you to know that the less time that this team spends in servanthood when it comes to learning scales or music or songs, new Scriptures, I want you to know the less anointed this is. You see, when God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, part of worshiping in truth is serving sacrificially. Because it's the li- it, it, we are literally living the life of Jesus when we live this way. And when God searches the earth and he's looking for authentic worship, and he, and he has that moment where he finds a people who actually are living like Jesus. When they're living as servants of all. God, what he sees is he sees Jesus in that place. He's looking for His son. Who, where's my son? Where do I see a reflection of my son and the people who claim to be his reflection? Where? I, I'm looking for it. Sunday after Sunday, Monday after Monday, Tuesday after Tuesday. I'm looking for someone who looks something like the people, the guy that they say they're, they're mimicking. We are raising up the generation after us to serve sacrificially. That means we have to model it. And serving sacrificially means serving to our hurt. I hope that makes you very uncomfortable because it makes me very uncomfortable. Serving sacrificially means you serve to your hurt. And here's why. We were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.19 is clear about this. Do you not know that your bodies Are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Serving sacrificially is going to hurt. It is going to cost you time. It is going to cost you money. And if it doesn't hurt or cost you something, then it's probably not serving sacrificially. And because there's no cost, well, because there is a cost, our tendency when it comes to serving sacrificially is to complain. When someone asks us, will you serve sacrificially? Paul says this in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Oh, is this true? <laughs> then, everybody say then then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But here it is. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and serving coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Serving each other and serving the next generation can be, if you do it in faith, an opportunity to rejoice. Raising up the next generation to serve sacrificially by modeling it in our own lives is the mission of It is the mission of the body of Jesus Christ. And I implore us, I'm begging us to put away our idols of self, our idols of our children, our idols of comfort and of busyness and activities. And I'm asking us to worship the Lord with sacrificial acts of service. Listen, we don't have to work to earn God's love. That's not what this is about. But what we do need to do is respond to his love. Martha was the one who welcomed the presence of Jesus with her gifts of service. So we have to endeavor to be a people whose lives are a fragrant offering. A fragrant offering of service unto God. And I realize that we are tempted every day to put ourselves and our wants and our desires on the thrones of our lives, just like Jesus was tempted in the desert. You know, when... uh, The devil offered, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and he's fasting water and food. And the devil came and tempted him. And the the third temptation, the devil offers him all the kingdoms of the earth. Which means he's offering all of the comforts of the world. All of the glory of the earth. The devil says here, I'll give it to you. I will give you every kingdom, all its riches, all its comfort, all its glory. It's all yours if you will just bow down to me. And Jesus summed it all up in one sentence. In Matthew 4, verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only worship and serve worship and serve worship and serve that was his great word to satan himself i will not I will not go after my own comfort and I I will not short-circuit this process. It is written, worship God and serve Him. Let's pray. Father, we just, we come as, again, whether we need to repent, whether we need to make a fresh commitment, whether we need to just say yes, God, to this call that's on our lives, every one of us to serve sacrificially, God. I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that we would we have courage to say yes. That we would have courage to say yes. That we would have the courage, God, to take our idols and cast them down. Worship and serve, worship and serve, worship and serve. That is the word of the Lord to us. And Father, we receive that today as we seek to serve sacrificially by modeling it, raising up the next generation to be a generation who also serve sacrificially, God. And so, Father, we just ask for your help. By the power of the Holy Spirit today, God. To put aside our selfish desires, our selfish wants. Not that you don't want us to have good things and enjoy life, but God, we are selfish. We are so after our own comfort, God, that it's sickening in America. That we are losing this nation because of it. So I ask God, please, Lord, give us power and strength to put aside the idols that you call us to put aside. And we say yes to worship and we say yes to serve it. And Lord, you know, you know, you know the needs we have, you know the needs that others have in this place, God. God, help us to be a people who have eyes to look. Who, who is the all that I can serve today? Who is the all that I could help out today? Give us that kind of heart. Give us that kind of eyes, God. So that when you look in the earth, you're looking when you're looking for those who worship in spirit and truth, that you find us loving God and loving people in radical, passionate, aggressive, deep ways. So, Father, we just, we receive this, this word today. Whatever the bones were, God, just get them out. Help us to forget it. Help the meat of what you wanted to say today to stick in our hearts that we can chew on it and live it this week, God. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this family, my friends, my family. God, all those who are here with me to worshiping you as a holy family set apart for you, God. I thank you for what you've called us to. And I bless us today as a family in God. I bless us, God, to be radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and of each other. So, Father, we go forth today with this in our heart how can we serve sacrificially we thank you for all you're doing today God and all that you're going to do this week help us be with us Father guide us lead us direct us (coughs) strengthen us we are so desperately in need of your help Father we bless you today God we love you And we seal this up right now in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything this morning, the altar team will be here. I encourage you to serve sacrificially this week. We always need help in children's ministry and outreach and all kinds of things. So God bless you. Have a great day.